Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which helps entrepreneurs generate more impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a smart connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Virtual Non-Execs, the world's number one peer-to-peer board advisor community, which connects thousands of investors, entrepreneurs and advisors globally. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I'm here with such an exciting guest tonight, Silver Neves. Welcome, Silver. Thank you for inviting me. Silver, you're a London-based psychosexual and relationship psychotherapist, an author, clinical supervisor, and a course director at the Contemporary Institute of Clinical Sexology. So with an extensive history in treating sexual and relationship problems, tonight I'm going to ask Silva to throw the spotlight specifically on entrepreneurs and their issues with intimacy, sex, and relationship fulfillment. It's going to be a no-holds-barred discussion. So if you're watching live, feel free to put in your questions in the chat and I'll ask them to Silva. So Great to have you here, as I said. And what I'd like to do is just start, Silva, if that's okay, by just telling our audience why this topic is so important. Sure. Thank you so much for being here and for being able to talk about this because it's so important, isn't it? A lot of my clients are people who have businesses, who are entrepreneurs, and and of course they come to me because it's an area of life that often they find difficult to speak about in other areas of life. One of the really big issues that comes to my consulting room is basically people struggling with time and energy. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it takes so much time and energy to first start a business, but then of course to maintain it and to grow it. And so often because of that, and if people have relationships at the same time, it feels like there's quite a competition between spending time with their intimate relationships and also spending time with growing the business. So I see people from all across the board, from startup, people in startup all the way to people really well established in the field. And even though they have very different set of problems, it comes down a lot of the time to those competing needs that people have. On top of, of course, many have I've not received adequate sex education, so they're a bit in the dark of what to do with their sex lives. And also in relationships, feeling like sometimes they might have some issues with communicating with their partners, communicating, for example, about making promises to be more available, but then the availability doesn't come. Or sometimes even the partners having some unrealistic expectations of what to ask for somebody with a, who is a, has a, their own business. One of the things I hear a lot from the partners sometimes is thinking that they quite enjoy the lifestyle that the financial gains brings with having your business, but at the same time, they want their partner to be more available. And sometimes that's a bit of a conflict as well. Of course there is, because you can't always have your cake and eat it. I think that's the expression, isn't it, really? So if you put your all into your business and you get the rewards from that, which eventually I think it's almost inevitable if you're a smart person and if you do things in the right way, the rewards will come. But it also comes at a price because everything 
comes at a price in a way. And often the price is the relationship with your significant other or the ability to evolve a relationship with a significant other, which is also very common, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And if you choose, if somebody's choosing to be with some with an entrepreneur, it's also choosing a set of lifestyle that is could be different from a relationship where people are both employed by other people. And one of the things often that people struggle with is the what we hear out there in in social media in our society about what it what a good relationship looks like. And a good relationship actually can look very different if you are in a relationship with an entrepreneur compared to a relationship where you are with somebody who's uh, employed by somebody else. And one of the one of the crucial things here is that often what people hear out there is that relationships have to be equal. So that meaning that both people in the relationship has to bring equal shares of chores, for example, or energy or whatever. And actually that's not really always working for entrepreneurs because a lot of the a lot of the time they will be busy with building the business. So often what needs to be happening rather than finding equal share is to find fair share. And that's uh, quite a different frame to look at it, but I think that's quite important. So fair share could be, as an example, one partner decides to cook all the dinners, all the meals, so the other partner never has to worry about food shopping and preparing food and thinking about what, putting, what to put on the table. And whilst one partner does that, the other one can spend a lot of time in their business, meaning that the other partner has never have to worry about money coming in. And sometimes that could be fair, even though spending time in a business might be nine hours, cooking might be two hours. So it might not be equal in terms of time, but it might be fair. So that's the, the, some of the things that I have as conversations with some of my mm -hmm. couples and some of my clients. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And I know that what I've observed, and this is not necessarily my experience, is just talking from couples that I've known because I've known a lot of, uh, a lot of married couples, a lot of parents over the years, a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously, with their own businesses. And I've known a lot of unhappy married people and people in long-term relationships. And I think what happens, what I've seen a lot of the time, is that people bring expectations from their family of origin. So a lot of the time they might be, this was how it worked in my household when I was growing up, and therefore that's how it should be in terms of my father did everything. He did everything in the house and he did this and he did that. And so you should do this and you should do that. And when we don't have that predictability as an entrepreneur, because obviously entrepreneurship, it's a up and down path. We need to have, we entrepreneurs need to have some flexibility and some tolerance and some understanding rather than somebody actually imposing how it should be upon us. Because I don't think any of us like that. That's right. But also that's an important part of relationship because whether you're an entrepreneur or not, one thing that we know is that changes happen in life. And mm -hmm. so we have to be adaptable to changes and we have to be adaptable to the ups and downs of life. And so when you are actually in a relationship with an entrepreneur, you can learn those skills from the very beginning, which are very good skills for relationships anyway, to having to be attuned to the needs of each and to, and in order to be attuned to the needs of each, you have to be present, but also you have to have clear, clear to clear communication about 
even sometimes it can be day to day or week to week about what needs to happen, what space needs to be had in a relationship. And sometimes it could be that in some weeks, there is no space for the relationship. But then with the intention in the communication that there will be space later on to nurture something that we have to neglect for a period of time and then nurture it later. And if that's all agreed and understood, then it's very possible for people to really manage all those ups and downs. Yeah, really what you're talking about is a kind of a pretty rosy view of a relationship. And in fact, obviously, a lot of people are struggling with their relationships and really their relationships are on the rocks. And I know plenty of entrepreneurs. I'm single myself. I've had some really disappointing and quite painful experiences out there in the dating world. And also, I know a lot of people who are very unhappily married, but they stay together because, I don't know, they just don't really, they don't really think that they can separate and find somebody better. And in a way, I suppose there is maybe an adjustment that good people who have the interests of the other partner at heart can make. But there's also situations that people are dealing with that are very painful and challenging, aren't they? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And you're right. There are so many people that stay together. It's just because they just don't know what else to do. And so sometimes staying with what you know seems better than going to the unknown and separating and maybe find someone else. And oh, and if you don't find someone else and what happens, but then staying with somebody that's not really a good fit, it can really be a miserable life. And it, the quality of life can really reduce a lot when you're staying in a relationship that just doesn't feel right. And even though you're trying to resolve issues, it just doesn't get resolved. Sometimes that can be a really big daily grind. It can. So let's get on to it, Silver. Yes. Let's move but I, I from- think Sex and relationships yeah. are quite intertwined, really. We have sex within relationships. And yeah. even, if it's, even if it's a one-off, a one-off encounter at the bar, there's still that relationship in that moment. So I think it's good to, to talk about both. But sure, let's talk about sex if you want. Let's talk about sex. Let's get on to it. Okay. <laughs> what have you learned in all of your professional years as a leading sexologist? What have you learned about people and their sex lives. What you were saying earlier about people's childhood and upbringing that comes with set of rules and they have th- thinking like this should happen this way, this should look this way. But in sex area, it's really quite the same. And if, from very early on in childhood, we actually pick up messages about sex. Even though they might not be so explicit, there are still some messages about sex. Disney movies, the cartoons that all our children watch actually give us some messages actually about well relationship but actually also about intimacy and children do imagine what happens in the ever after so there is that and then and then of course along the years and then we become teenagers and so on we pick up more and more messages usually not from the proper sex education because sex education is lacking most of the time yeah so he's he's picking things up from hollywood movies and from pornography and from other places and then over the years we develop this set of rules about sex should be this way sex should happen this way and when it doesn't people become very disappointed and then they just don't know what else to do because of the lack of sex education so in Broadly, this is what is the main problems about people's sex lives. Yeah, and I think that is so important because, as you said, 
that the influence of pornography is huge. Porno- pornography is one of the biggest industries in the world, and nearly everybody watches it, right? I think, fortunately, whether people say they do or they don't, a lot of people do. And so if you think about it, if you're a blank slate, if you're somebody that knows nothing, in other words, if you're a child and you're exposed, as children are, to pornography, then you're going to think that's how people do it. And you're going to think it's all about all these different wild and crazy positions. And I know I've got three daughters and, and I know about the pressures that girls are under, for example, growing up to be like these kind of porn stars, because that is obviously what everybody thinks is normal. And the problem is with schools and even with parents, it's difficult for parents because we've all got our issues with sex and it is not generally talked about in a healthy way in schools. I'm I remember my sex education was talking, I think we were talking about rabbits or something like that. So something ridiculous is like the biology lesson. We're going to talk about how babies are made and we're going to talk about how rabbits do it or something like that. Yes. Oh, it's about avoiding pregnancies or avoiding diseases. And that's. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Given that kind of cultural context that on the one hand, everything is hidden and quite shameful and people feel, oh, I should this is a little bit ugly. They come a stumble across porn and they think it doesn't feel quite right. There seems to be a lot of exploitation here, or it seems a bit brutal and it's not very emotional and all the rest of it. But at the same time, it's quite exciting. So all of that is is leading to a lot of confusion, I think. Don't you think, Silver? Yes, that's right. As you say, it's a very big industry, pornography, but it's an adult entertainment industry. It's there to entertain, it's there to titillate people, it's there to, to engage in people's fantasies. It's not about real sex in real life. Yeah. Although now some pornography want to do a bit of that, which is a bit of a different branch, but really a lot of the time, this is what it is. So people that have blank slate, as you say, or people with terrible sex education, which is most of us, then we're going to porn for the education. And when we try to be educated with something that is entertainment, then that's when things go wrong. That's for sure. But even into in the more basic stuff, a lot of people don't even know what sex actually means because some people, they think that sex is penetration and everything else is not sex really, or is just a foreplay or whatever. But actually, what if we think that sex can be anything from the moment that you take your clothes off and have that connection with another person with their clothes off. And maybe that's when sex starts, really. And from then, suddenly it gives you maybe or gives us a lot more options onto what we decide to do. And in this kind of should story, a lot of the time people say, okay, so first we should have sexual desire, then we should have some foreplay. And that usually includes a little bit of oral sex. Then we should have penetration. Then we should have a mutual orgasm. And then we should be happy. And that's (laughs) the story. And that's every single should actually can really bring up a lot of shame for people and a lot of uh, problems when it doesn't go as it should go. And then people think, oh, they didn't go so well. So either I'm the problem one or my partner's the problem one, or we're not compatible. And then everything falls apart quite quickly, really. Yeah. And it, that, is, that is so important, that thing about the should, because it, they're cultural shoulds, aren't they? 
They're not just personal shoulds. They're, and obviously I'm single. I've had people say to me, in fact, I had a man say to me, I was surprised because there seems to be this rule that's going around that you meet with somebody three times and then you sleep together. And it's like, I said, why do you think that? And he said, because that's happened to me three times. There've been three women who on the third date, they said, shall we, it's about time we should do all of this. And uh, and then he said, then why do you want to do this? We just think that's what's done. The autopilot thing, oh, that's what's done. That's what must happen now. Yeah, that's what must happen now. And I think people are not really getting the message that actually you can't be prescriptive about intimacy because some people are easy to talk to and easy to build around with and sometimes you can do it fast uh, because you just click with somebody and some people who might be more reserved sometimes it might take months for you to actually click with them and I'm not even talking about sexually I'm just talking about just people in general and when you think about that I personally feel as though you shouldn't be having sex with somebody that you can't be emotionally intimate with. That's only me. I'm not saying that there is a one size fits all. But for me personally, if I can't have a conversation with someone that is a an open conversation, if I don't feel safe to be able to have those conversations, then I can't really see how it could lead to fulfilling sex. Now, that's right. just me. I yeah, mean, and it's good that you know that about yourself. That's important for somebody else. It could be different, but for you, this is what yeah. it is. And actually, in terms of uh, going back to what's specific about entrepreneurs, a lot of the time, entrepreneurs are really versed, but also very excited by intricate conversations and conversation mm-hmm. that is about thinking outside the box and about creativity. And so then, of course, if you meet somebody who is coming with, this is sex and my sex is going to be just in that little box and there's no movement that can feel quite a bit disappointing and maybe a bit boring for some entrepreneurs. Yes, definitely. Yes, because as you said, we are attracted to variety. We like, we like experimentation. We like uncertainty and risk doesn't actually turn us off in the way that it might other se- segments of the population. So therefore, we're going to be more naturally adventurous, let's just say. But that still doesn't mean that things have to be forced or they have to be done. We are people who we don't want to do things the normal way. We want to do it our own way. And I think that is the entrepreneurial way. And I think that extends to relationships and it extends to sex as well. That's right. And for somebody who is not have that mindset, that can uh, appear to be quite uh, intimidating or even quite scary to be in a relationship or in a sexual relationship with somebody who is really quite open to risk and experimentation and so on, if somebody's not had that experience before. So then again, we go back to the relationship and how communication is very important first to make sure that people can all feel safe and everyone knows what's going to happen in the sexual arena is to be able to actually talk about it and about expectations and what is in your erotic mind and what you might just want to experiment on or not. Yeah. What you're talking about really is actually, in a way, there's a kind of uh, spirit of collaboration there. So however 
soon you do it, let's just say, or whatever you decide to do. Obviously, it's two people coming together, right? So there is an intimacy and there are decisions that need to be made. And what's interesting to me is that it does, sex doesn't always happen that way. A lot of the time, it's people using other people in order to just get off. So I think, I think there's the challenge because we don't, as I said, look, for me personally, I can only say that I do have to feel safe with somebody and I do have to feel as though they have good motives towards me. Whereas other people, they can just be a lot more clinical and a lot more kind of casual about it. And they can be, look, this is just recreation. It's just fun. It's just what we do. And uh, I just want to meet somebody who is, they're just, it's recreation. And whatever happens outside of that is different. Is that, does that? Yes. Some people have sex when they have uh, such high intensity work days or work week. Yeah. Sometimes people want to have sex for stress relief. And oh. there's actually really nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. As you say, it's part of recreation. It's part of yeah. having a good ending of a long, busy day. And for some people, that's exactly the right thing to do for them. Mm-hmm. And for other people like you, you just need to have a, a connection, safety, and getting to know somebody first. But in all cases, what needs to happen is for the two people to be on the same page about what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Not one thinking that they're going to be entering a relationship and the other one thinking it's recreation because yeah. that's when things go wrong. And as you said, that's when sometimes you can just get off or have a sense that, that somebody's just getting off on you just for that one night and then that's it. And another thing about entrepreneurship is it, that does happen quite on a regular basis because from the person who is not the entrepreneur, being with an entrepreneur, even for one night, can be a bit of a, a prize or something that can be quite exciting for one day, but then just really don't want to get involved further than that. And if the entrepreneur is not quite in this, on the same page, they can feel a bit fetishized or a bit used in, in that way. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that, that is very common. And I think that uh, particularly if an entrepreneur, obviously entrepreneurs, they tend to be, they, they don't let's just say, have a regular kind of steady income like many people in society. They'll either, things will be going really well and they'll be a bit flash and a bit flush and they'll have more money and they will want to obviously spend it and generally that's what happens. Or they'll be struggling because they're on the down and picking themselves up and both extremes happen. And Really, I think the challenge that uh, a lot of us feel is actually detaching our own feelings of self-worth from that. Because if we're feeling high and we're feeling successful, then, you know, it's very easy to feel a bit of one-upmanship and feel as though, you know what, we're really, we're pretty good, aren't we? Where yes, you and know, we're pretty time, special. <laughs> yes, and when you're on the high like this, you can choose a di- very different types of partners compared mm-hmm. to when you're on the down. Oh yes, definitely, because the world opens up, and it's like, oh everybody wants to get to know me because they want to have a piece of that. But at the same time, there's a little voice in the back of your head that says, "Do you know what? Uh, I don't want anybody that wants me for that." I want somebody that wants me for myself and that therein co- comes a struggle. Whereas when we're on the down, if we're struggling and I've been up there and I've been down here and many places in between and, and I think, you know what, I'm this, 
I'm the same person as I was up there. I was just a little bit more cocky, let's just say, at that point. When I was down here, I was just a little bit more gloomy and irritable, maybe uh, not so nice to be around. But as you said, people behave very differently to you when you're in those kind of situations. And when you're, when you're struggling, a lot of people, my experience, a lot of people uh, will distance themselves from people who are struggling. And that is obviously very painful if you are an entrepreneur and there are plenty of us out there who have experienced some challenge and some failure. And are then when we most need it, people, we turn around, where are those people? Where are those people that were there when we were up here and all of that? That's also difficult, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And also the entrepreneur's own relationship with, uh, with the business, of course, because as you say, it's so tied in with self-esteem, being that there's so much investment yep. into entrepreneurship. So often in some, with some of my clients, when I ask the questions, outside of that, outside of work, who are you? What makes you be you? And many don't have an idea. They have never really asked that question to themselves. Yeah. Of not, that they're not taking the time because it's so in, intertwined with their identity. The business is intertwined with their identity. And so often it's, it's about also trying to find for the entrepreneur to, to make it a bit, um, not a complete difference because it's not possible to be detached from the business completely, but to have a sense of what is my private time, the private time where it could be the erot erotic encounter and have an erotic energy that is different from a business energy that can be then for the intimate relationship and your sex life. Yeah, and actually that's something that we were talking about beforehand, isn't it, Silva? So it's the erotic energy is not the same as business energy. Right. And it is not the same as emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And that was what we were talking about before we went on air. Because yes. emotional connection is a kind of meeting of minds and it's like you just click with somebody and you think, this person really understands me and I understand them. But you can have that with a good friend. That kind of, as you said, that erotic energy is not to do with business. No, it isn't. The excitement that you get as an entrepreneur around your business. And I was saying, I feel like a lot of excitement around my business. I just love it. I just, yeah, it's great. But it is totally different to erotic energy. So let's talk about erotic yes. energy. How can you get it? How can you get more of it? As an entrepreneur, how can you actually make time and space for that energy? How can you express it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Because a lot of people will be thinking, I don't know what he's what, what, they, what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. First, before, before the erotic energy, it's good to paint the picture of what happens when you're entering the erotic space first, where the energy can happen. Because a lot of the time, sometimes people leave the, their work behind, for example. So, you know, to have sex, you close the door to your bedroom, let's say if it's in the bedroom, and you take your clothes off and suddenly it's like, oh, you know, who am I? So going back to that conversation of the identity, because when you take your clothes off, suddenly you're quite vulnerable and anything can happen in that space of vulnerability. And then you think, oh, what am I now supposed to do in business? I know exactly what to do. They are... I'm trained in it. There are rules. I have learned it. But in my sex life, I've not really learned. I've just, you know, what to do, vulnerable. So then it's very easy for not only just the energy to leave, but the confidence and everything else that you have been enjoying before in that kind of business energy to completely leave the room. And then you're left with nothing. And often this is also when sometimes sexual problems start. 
Mm-hmm. Then what happens next is that people then are going to try to cling on to some things they remember about techniques or positions or the thing to do that should story that has to happen. And when people focus on that, they stay in their head very much. And mm-hmm. so the thing that we forget is the pleasure. Pleasure is always the thing that we forget. <laughs> and yet is the primary thing that we want to have sex for is to feel some pleasure. Yeah. And some erotic connection. So when that happens, then already you can forget about erotic energy. It's all gone. So if you want to have some erotic energy, is mm-hmm. to start with is to start with learning to be vulnerable with your clothes off and to getting to know yourself and your erotic self. And the erotic self, again, mm-hmm. if we don't spend time with it, we don't get to know it. So it is something about what is for me, what turns me on? What are the things that are really the hot spots? Because for one person is different from another. Mm-hmm. As you say, maybe for one person is the hot spot was having that fantastic conversation before we go to the bedroom. That can be starting to the erotic energy to start to steam a little bit or to simmer, let's say. But for other people, it could be, I need to be kissed and I need to be kissed in a particular way. For some people, they need to be touched in a particular place in the body. For some people, they need to have a story. They need their fantasies to be engaged. So they need to be maybe doing some role plays or being talked to in a different way in, the, in, in, the, in that space. And that's when the erotic energy can start to, to come forth is by knowing yourself first and knowing what turns you on and then putting that into the space. Because if you don't put that into the space, there's empty. And at the same time, you have to know what your partner's turns on are because it could be different. But of course, if you know what your partner turns on are, then you do that to them to engage in their turn ons. And then suddenly in this, in the erotic space of the bedroom, you have two erotic energy meeting. And that's when sex can become very hot. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And I know as you were speaking, I was just thinking about some couples that I know. Obviously, we're talking about, I was going to be talking about heterosexual here. We'll get on to the LGBT community in a minute because obviously that's something else that we said we were going to talk about. I'm just thinking, obviously, a classic kind of turn on for a lot of men is to see women dressed up in exciting lingerie that they find they love the whole package with the pretty frilly stuff and all of that kind of thing. And uh, a lot of women, they, that for them, it's like more of a mental thing. It's, do you know what? If he makes me feel as though his attention is focused on me and that he's been thoughtful towards me and that he's actually taken away some of the chores from me so that I can go and have a nice bath and just not have the kids bothering me and all of that that kind of thing but it is very different and it does as you said it requires some understanding of the other partner doesn't it exactly and then you can have both in the space something that is is both what both partners want and need and Mm. so that takes creativity but at the same time Mm. you have to be also careful of the turn-offs because that is also important yeah somebody's turn on can be somebody else's turn off so for example injuries can be a really uh, a person's turn off a woman's turn off, for example, even if it could be a turn on in the man. But that needs to be also explained and be explicit so that the woman doesn't feel like she has to do something that she doesn't want to do. Or sometimes it can be vice versa. And often the other thing that is difficult, sometimes we don't feel that we can say no to somebody else's turn on. Mm -hmm. But actually it's super important to say no because the fear is that 
if I say no to somebody's turn on, then nothing's going to happen because everything's going to be turn offs. But there's quite a likelihood that you're going to have a few overlapping turn ons with each other because the erotic mind and the erotic energy is quite vast, really. It's not just one thing. Again, it's about exploring, experimenting, talking in explicit language to figure out what are the overlapping turn ons, the turn ons that are shared by both or the turn-ons that each don't mind meeting with the other partner. Yeah. So what happens, for example, Silvra, obviously, you know, you do this day in, day out. What happens when you meet two people and let's say one of them has a primary turn-on, call it that way, that is the other person's primary turn-off? It's either you decide <laughs> to not have sex with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's one option. To yeah. say, actually, you know what? It's not going to work. <laughs> yes. you absolutely need to have stilettos in bed, it's just not going to work. That's not, okay, <laughs> you move on. <laughs> That's one way, <laughs> one way. But the other way could be, to, could be okay, our primary turn-ons is just not going to happen. What else is there? So then you, you become curious and you look for something else because usually there is something else. So with that person, you might never have the super hot sex because you're not going to be engaging in your primary turn-on. But what you might get is maybe a, a long, enduring, quality, intimate sex. Because even though you might not have your primary turn-on, you're actually going to have some very good conversations about experimenting with your other turn-ons. And that can actually create quite a lot of intimacy. Yeah. And do you think that today a lot of people just expect to have it all? That, you know, because obviously there's that whole thing of going outside of a marriage because of, or a relationship or whatever. If people, if you, I think that's the fear that people have that if they don't give in to what is, what is wanted or by their partner, that they'll go and find it elsewhere and that somehow that's okay. Is it okay or is it not okay? So that's really interesting that you say that because. We tend to like to have choices, right? The more choices we have, the better. But actually, at the same time, as human beings, we're not quite doing well with having too many choices. <laughs> the, now, the world of apps, where there's always, it gives you an illusion, actually, it's an illusion, but the illusion that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, the swipe left and right kind of culture, where everybody becomes disposable as soon as one thing doesn't work out. Then you move straight on to the next person. That becomes like almost like a fast food <laughs> type of, of culture. And so we stop being tolerant and we stop being curious about, hey, you know what? Maybe something about our turn-ons is not working out, but maybe other things can work out. Let's just spend enough time together to experiment and to work it out. And if you spend time to work it out, you can have actually have the best sex that you can have, the most intimate and conscious sex that you can have with somebody compared to saying, oh, I'm not liking this one, one thing. And so that's it. I'm going to find somebody else. Because then you can just keep hopping and hopping from one person to the next, oh, searching yeah. for that perfection. But nobody's perfect. And there's never going to be one perfect relationship or there's not going to be one perfect erotic connection. So sometimes it's great to have choices, but also, hey, you know what? You don't have to keep looking and searching for the open sea. You can think of happier with less choices maybe but just really doing with what you have yeah yeah and after all sex is only a part of life it is not life itself right yeah yeah, yeah. so we've got a question here from jason 
who says, do we need to accept we change and evolve as people in relationships? That's one of his questions. And the other question that he's got is it sounds like entrepreneurs may be, it may be a good idea to stick to other entrepreneurs. So we've got two, two questions there. So let's start off with the one about should entrepreneurs date and marry and live with other entrepreneurs or what do you think, Sil? Well, I think there's no shoulds really. As we know from tonight, shoulds yeah. is a bad word. <laughs> yeah. But really, it, it depends because sometimes being with another entrepreneur is, is going to be really fantastic because you will be understanding the other person with shorthand, right? You will know exactly what, they, what their life is like, what they feel, and you can even help each other and create that kind of communal or cheerleading in some ways and being a lot more understanding of the profession. But at the same time, for other people, they can just start to be in competition. Who is going to be the most successful and who is going to spend more time at work? And, oh, sorry, but you have to look after the children when I do this. Oh, why should you do this when I'm, I've also got my own business? So then actually sometimes two entrepreneurs together can just be very conflictual. And sometimes being with someone who's not in that space but has enough compassion and enough understanding and enough patience, that can actually work a lot better. So both can work. It just very much depends on the type of person, the, their personality that you're, that you're looking for. Are you going to compete with them or are you going to lift each other up? Yeah. So I guess really we're talking about an attitudinal thing. And obviously, if you're with somebody who has a very selfish outlook, maybe a sort of narcissistic type personality that they can't really see they don't have empathy for you or whatever then it's not going to be good regardless of what work they do in life or their yeah. career choices right yeah that's right exactly yeah yeah okay and then his other question is do we need to accept we change and evolve as people in relationships and that absolutely yeah okay <laughs> yes, absolutely we change we always change the ideas and worldviews and passions and even turn-ons that we have, say, in our 20s are completely different from what we'll have in our 40s and our 60s. Our bodies change as well. A lot of things change in life. So it's really super important that we keep in touch with our own erotic mind changing and developing and also and keep in touch with our partner's changes. And so the more you keep in touch, the easier relationships are. Okay. So a couple more topics. So, Silva, you do a lot of work within the LGBT community as well. So what particular issues are you seeing in that community that, you know, that you think are maybe a bit more unique or a bit more specific to that group? I think for the LGBT entrepreneurs, it's pretty much similar in terms of the competition of needs in, in time and energy between business and partners. Something about the LGBTQ that is different from their heterosexual counterparts is that there is a, a bit more of an open mind around multiple relationships. Mm -hmm. So it means that they can rely on almost like an intimate network of people compared to one person in an intimate relationship. And so then they can develop an, a professional network and they can develop an intimate network. And that means that if one person's needs cannot be met because of the entrepreneurship, then there's not a person that can be there to meet those needs. So in some ways, sometimes it feels like, it can feel like a bit more holding to have multiple relationships. However, what comes with multiple relationships is also needing to have a very good diary management to make sure that you can give some time and, and uh, 
and focus with each of the people involved in the relationship. So that's one thing that is often quite different from heterosexual people and LGBTQ people. And the other difference also is that in the LGBTQ population, there is not so much of the shoots that we've talked about in terms of the sex script, because they have to do something different. So often with gay men, for example, sex can be just oral sex. And when I say just, meaning that many gay men can be very satisfied not having any penetration. And, and also we know from research that less couples or people have much better orgasms than heterosexual women because a woman knows how to touch another woman in the right places almost more, in, more instinctually, in, 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 instinctively. Sorry. So then there's all of that. And of course, with uh, women as well, lesbian, there's often no penetration either, but their sex life is, can be a lot more pleasure-centered, which is often what is lacking in the scripts of the heterosexual sex life. Yeah. So there are quite a lot of quite a lot of similarities. We're all humans at the end of the day, but also quite of differences in terms of how we have sex, how we engage with sex, and also the ideas and the ideals of relationships. Mm, that's very interesting. So in a way, the fact that they're already on the outside, as it were, means that they've had to really confront those kind of societal norms maybe a bit earlier or in a bit more of a direct way. And as you said, the shoulds tend to get thrown out a lot earlier or a lot more efficiently or aggressively or whatever to make way for maybe a more authentic relationship and experience. That's right. Yes, finding different paths because the one path that uh, we grew up with, the heteronormative path, we call it, yeah. is, uh, doesn't fit. Yes. But of course, a lot of the LGBTQ people, they do become entrepreneurs in the first place because they suffer discrimination in the workplace. Yes. Uh, being, being employed and having almost no choices but to endure homophobia. So, of course, then when entrepreneurs meet with each other in the LGBTQ world, it creates this subsection. You've got the, the LGBT kind of intimate network, the entrepreneurs network, and then the LGBT entrepreneurs network, <laughs> which is yeah. another one. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And in the UK, there's this thing, the notion of the pink pound, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. a lot of very successful, a lot of very successful entrepreneurs, particularly in London, with that uh, orientation. Okay, so then the next thing, before we wrap up, because we've had such an interesting discussion, God, I, I could talk to you all night, Sylvie, but <laughs> may, maybe I will once we come off air. But, uh, but yeah, so let's talk about the impact of uh, dating apps on sex and relationships, because most people that are single, including me, are on dating apps. And we talked about this a little bit before we came on air, but on the whole, my experience has been very disappointing, which I think is pretty normal for a lot of people. And I think what I was saying is that a lot of people have got things going on elsewhere. And because you don't meet them in context, so you don't, you don't know their family, you don't really mix with their friends, you just meet them in isolation, it's very easy for them to hide, to keep secrets about their other entanglements or the it's complicated relationships. And I've certainly had that experience many times where I, I was actually getting to know somebody feeling excited about them and then they just, uh, they dropped the bombshell, oh, I've got back with my girlfriend or actually I this and it's like, oh, 
okay, that's again. But this is obviously not an experience that's unique to me. And it's not the only experience that people are having or challenging experience that people are having on dating apps. So what are you seeing in terms of single people right now and the struggles that they're having? Yes, thank you for bringing that up because it's a real struggle for a lot of people. And with the dating app, one one thing that happens psychologically is that you're going to be engaging in apps very differently from in person because there's a screen. So often what happens is that you can lie without guilt because the screen almost protects you against the guilt in some ways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can say, you can pretend to be somebody else. You can have filters on your photos. You can even pretend to be a different age or whatever. Everything can be completely fake and people can be quite guilt-free because because of that protection with 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 the screen some people can be also very nasty because of that same reason oh, so yeah. they can say some really awful things like racist things and ageist things and, and whatever misogynist things just yeah. because they think they can yeah. and, and they won't get anything back and of course there's this big thing called ghosting which is also can be quite harmful when people are really engaging emotionally in talking to somebody on an app and then suddenly there's a, a black hole that everything switches off that can be really quite wounding for some people. So yes. all of that is happening. A lot of people are getting really um, disappointing with all of these apps. And then, as you say, if you do go to the stage of meeting them in person, then you might just already have a, a, an image of what they're going to be like after your kind of online conversations. And you realize it's all completely different. Oh, no, that person is still with his girlfriend. Oh, no, that person is uh, 10 years older or whatever it is that, <laughs> that they're pretending. And then that can be very disappointing. I think another thing, especially with success, and I'm not sure if that's been your experience, Jane, but it feels there's also a difference between a woman being very, very successful compared to a man being very successful. A lot of the time, men tend to feel quite a bit intimidating, intimidated by successful women. And so that also is going to bring up all sorts of different things, like men are going to be trying to, that th- those that are intimidated might actually start to have some kind of behaviors that are out of character to try to almost bring the self-esteem up faced with a successful woman. And the opposite, when it's a successful man, often the woman might want to try to just be like more submissive than she would be because that's part of what society tells us, that the woman needs to please the man who has the money and these kind of things. So those things have also come from a cultural and societal messages, the man feeling in- intimidated that's the patriarchy message, and that's the misogyny that is also very ingrained in our society. And the other way around as well, the woman that says, oh, I've got to, I must be pretty for the successful man. It's also part of sexism. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think I obviously have some single friends as well. And what we've noticed is that, and I've said to you know, some of my friends is that, look, there are going to be some guys and they just will not feel good enough. Uh, because you're quite kind of dynamic. I, yeah, I, I don't want to be overly ego-centric here, so I'll, let's talk about my friends. But my friends tend to be quite go-getting, quite dynamic as well, and they've noticed the fact that there are some men who will just be, they immediately start to bring them down and tell them that they are, that they're too ambitious, that they, they'll put, start putting labels and judgments on them and make them feel less than for actually prioritizing their business and really just trying to 
be the best that they can be and provide for their families. Because right. a lot of the time, we ambitious women and female entrepreneurs, we have been let down by men in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we have been left without support for our children or that's quite common. So a lot of the time, we're just trying to do our best as mothers and carers in the first instance. A lot of men will not really, they will not really like that. And in my experience, it has been the more successful guys, particularly the more successful entrepreneurs who actually, they get us most of all. However, yes. yeah, what tends to happen is that those kind of guys quite often, in my experience, they will be chasing women or they will want women who are a little more submissive or supportive or have the time or maybe younger or whatever to take care of them. So there's always this kind of bit of a push me, pull you thing going on anyway in the sort of, uh, let's just say my age range. And obviously I'm heterosexual and I'm not assuming that and I'm London based and it's different for everybody everywhere in the world, but that's just been my experience. Yes, but it is quite a common experience that I hear uh, a lot as well. And, and all those things is what we just talk about, all those different messages about what it's like to be a man and what it's like to be a man and the meaning of success and so on. The apps are just the open sea. And of course, in the open sea, you're yeah. just going to be, you're going to have so much chances of getting the wrong people time and time and time again. And yet yeah. sometimes, you hear people just finding the perfect partner through Tinder or this, or this other kind of... Uh, it does uh, happen. Dating app. It does happen. And because it does happen, it's, uh, it's, for a lot of people, they still have the hook, almost like the lottery. Okay, mm -hmm. if I go one more time, maybe I will be, it will be my <laughs> turn. Maybe I will find somebody. But sometimes, because the apps can be really quite awful for some people, if you keep being disappointed with them, if you like to play with them, fine. But if you keep being disappointed and you get wounded by them, Try to stop because there are other ways. I know that it's old-fashioned now, we call it, but there are other ways that you can meet other people. We used to meet people through professional networks and through friends of friends. And sometimes, actually, friends of friends can be a little bit more of a reliable route because when, you're all, when you start to fall in love with somebody, you don't always think quite rationally. So having a friend there to tell you, be careful, there's a red flag. Sometimes it's good to listen to your best friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A red flag you can't see. So sometimes if you go through a friend's recommendation or somebody that you trust that says, I really know this guy really well and I really think, and I know you really well and I really think that maybe the two of you could get on, sometimes it might be the best. So of course the pool is a lot smaller when you go around those kind of areas or route to find somebody. But sometimes, as we were saying earlier, less choices can actually be <laughs> the right choices. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. And, uh, and it's funny because obviously in my business, one of the things that I do is I help people find the right clients for them. So that is actually, there, there is a process to that. And that process involves qualifying and filtering. And you do that through marketing because you have to really push away a lot of the people that are initially think they might be right for you through putting, I call it the selling environment, but by putting a lot of stuff in front of them getting on an in-person conversation with you. Sometimes I think this is so needed in the kind of dating environment because, as you said, it's a bit like 
walking into Tesco's with a sign on your head saying, I'm single, getting up on a soapbox, and then whoever's in the shop, they, they, just, they can come up and they can just take you away or whatever. It's as random as that, isn't it? So That's right. But as you say, a, an unromantic way of, say, of, of saying dating, it is basically about filtering, assessing, and you've got people who market yeah. themselves, <laughs> and then you have to filter yeah. through and assess properly. That's the unromantic way of, of dating, but that's really how dating really does happen. In your business, you have quite a lot of transferable skills, really. Yeah, I mean, that's it, really, because the thing is, obviously, in business, people can afford to invest money into building out these kind of ecosystems. But really, I foresee a time in the future where the whole dating environment is going to become a lot more sophisticated and all the sort of funnel technology that we are, uh, you know, that we are developing, let's just say quite expensively because it takes quite a lot of money to do this, that there will be technology that kind of enables people to really browse somebody's profile and in a much deeper way. And that is my hope, say, for my children by the time they get to my age, that they will not have to go through this manual filtering, which is what I call it because it's just, it is a bit time consuming and it's not always uh, not that much fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Silva, it has been such a pleasure to speak to you tonight. We have had such an interesting conversation and I really appreciate you showing up. So if people wanted to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can look at my website. It's my name, silvanives.co.uk and I'm on social media as well, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. So if you put in my name, you should find me. And you're an author as well. So they can buy your yes. books, can't they, on Amazon? Yes. Uh, I write for therapists, really. It's more like kind of textbooks. But uh, oh. <laughs> I, I, yes, but I've been told I write in like really simple language. So it's actually people can understand it if, even if they're not trained as a therapist. So sure, if you want to learn more about, I wrote a book on compulsive sexual behavior, for example, that's for clinician, but it's, um, it's, uh, written in simple language. So people have had some feedback that people have read it and that helped them. So that's out there. It's all on the book selling platforms. So you can also type my name and find those. I wrote a book on sexology, which is for like a replacement to sex education. So that's really helpful. That can be very helpful for people who are not therapists. Sexology, the basics published by Rasledge. Very interesting. Sexology, the basics. Thank you so much, Silva. Again, it has been such a pleasure and uh, really appreciate you showing up on the Smart Connector podcast and look forward to staying in touch. Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a great joy to be here. So yes, let's be in touch. Jane Baylor is the Smart Connector, a London-based, passionate serial entrepreneur, brand marketer and business growth exploder who helps overlooked and undervalued consultants and sector experts generate consistent, scalable revenues through becoming the go-to choice of their dream clients. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you liking, rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you've heard it on. And check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to connect with Jane or any of her guests in person. Thank you for listening and come back soon.